Glad you came this morning. We're talking about the kingdom. Uh, and let's just pray and we'll jump right into this. You ready? Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for your word that it's alive. It's quick. It's powerful. Lord, we thank you for helping us today to understand these directives about the kingdom of God and, and the awesome thing that Jesus did for us to restore back the kingdom to your people. And Lord, we thank you for everything you'll do in Jesus name. Everybody said Amen. I want you to uh, uh, go to your notes, if you would, and I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, and we're going to kind of, this first class or this first lesson we got, we're going to do two this morning, is about kind of setting the tone for everything else. So, uh, and I want you to write this down at the top of your notes right now. Write down original intent. Original intent. We're going to go back and look at the original intent that God had for the for human beings in the Garden of Eden. What we what we were created to be from the very outset. We're going to talk about how that was lost through what happened with Adam and Eve, but it has been restored totally by what Jesus did. Isn't that good news? Everything that was lost has been restored. Now, we won't see all of that happen until the very end of time when the rapture is going to happen. Then there will be a seven-year tribulation that will culminate with this great war where Jesus is going to come back at the end of seven years when all these nations are aligned against him and there will be this great war. Jesus is coming not as the, the Lamb of God the next time. He's coming as the King of Kings. He'll have a sword. He'll be riding a white horse. And here's some more good news. We as believers will be coming with him. And we all get our own horse. That's what the scripture says. Revelation 19. Go read it. It's awesome. So, you know, that tells me there's a little bit of cowboy in all of us, right? But uh, so everything will be restored. The heavenly Jerusalem will come down. We'll have a glorified body. We'll have a thousand years on the earth uh, of the reign of Christ and as believers, it will be incredible. Everything, everything that God intended will be restored back even better because of what Jesus has done. So we want to see what Jesus restored for, for us right now, right? What, what was his original intent? Uh, you know, when Jesus came, the Jews of his day were looking for Messiah. They're still looking for him now. But here's what threw them. They thought that Messiah was going to come and take over the government, because the Jews are the most oppressed, uh, defeated people, if you will. Many times they've been conquered. Uh, you know, Trudy and I had the privilege of going to Israel. And they tell you when you're there that there are layers of, of generations in the dirt of Israel. And they're, they're always digging over there and ex excavating things and excavating new things that uh, tell them about their past. Because that's the land that was there from the beginning. It was interesting because uh, we were there, and then we, we uh, came back to New England because we traveled a lot back in those days, and we spent a couple of days in New England before we came back home to Tulsa when we lived there. But they had a saying that I heard, I heard Jews say this all the time. As Americans, they would say, oh, the pain is not even dry in your country. And, you know, because we're only a couple of hundred years old. They're thousands of years old. But... Um, they expected Jesus to come back and conquer the Roman government and take over. That's what they thought Messiah was going to do. They, and, and he is going to do that, but they missed the fact that he would first have to be a suffering Messiah. He would have to be the Lamb of God that took on the sins of the world as a man in order to gain back everything that man had lost. 
So we're going to talk this morning about the kingdom direct directives. So, so to understand this better, we're going to go back to the original intent of what God created the world to be. Uh, every creator has an idea for their creation. God's idea for mankind was to give man a domain or a territory in which man would exercise God's rulership on the earth. You guys come on in. Find, find a seat. We're glad you're here. Uh, so God created the earth in order to create a family, right? That was his original idea was to have a family. And so by understanding what the kingdom entails, it will give us an opportunity to tap into God's original idea of what he wants this to be like. So from the very beginning, God established the idea of a kingdom, a kingdom. We were created in the image of Almighty God as human beings. We were fashioned like God. We were made in the likeness of God. The scripture says, the angels declare in the book of Psalms, what is man that we are mindful of, that you are mindful of him? They're talking to God. You have created him a little bit lower than the angels, it says in uh, the, the King James. But actually that word angels there is the word Elohim, which means gods. The angels looked at, at mankind and, and, you know, we are created on a higher level than angels as human beings. We were created in the image of God to operate like God. Now, that doesn't mean you are God, right? Write that in your notes. You're not God. I'm not God. But we were created on God's level to partner with Him. We were created to partner with God. And in a partnership, there are two different uh, people that play a part, right? And there is God's part in this relationship, and then there's man's part. And man can't do God's part. Because, you know, we're not the God, but then God can't do our part. We have a part to play. It's a partnership. And, uh, and we have to understand that, that God will not do your part for you, and you can't do God's part, but there is a part that we have to play in this. Uh, God gave us a free will, and you have this chooser, chooser that is yours forever. God gave you a chooser. We all have had a chooser. You got up this morning and you made a choice. You, you decided to get dressed, probably took a shower. I did. It's good to take a shower in the morning, right? And I chose to take that shower. I chose to make some coffee. And I chose to come to church to teach this class. You chose to come here, teach class today. Isn't that great? You know, you, you can make a choice. You can make any choice you want. You can make a choice to go rob a convenience store after church today if you want to. It's your choice. I would advise you not to do that. But you can do that, right? So uh, to address this, what is, what is God's original intent? Let's go back to the book of Genesis chapter 1. And I'll set the stage for you here. In Genesis, from the very beginning, we see how God created the world. He created the world in six days. Talks about how he created uh, particular things on particular days. And God is very organized and orderly because everything he made, like for day one, he had to make day one first the things of day one, to sustain what he's going to do on day two. So God gets everything ready, and now we're in the sixth day, and God makes this declaration, Genesis 1, 26. I'm going to read uh, five verses here, so stay with me. I'm going to read from the original King James uh, just to give us the original wording, okay? So here we go. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's what we just talked about. We were made in the image and the likeness of God. And let them 
have dominion over. Now, them means men and women. So did you know men and women have equal dominion when it comes to things of God? And all the ladies said, thank you very much. That now, We each have different roles as men and women. We're not the same. We're created very differently. And we think very differently, and we'll touch on a little bit of that this morning. But we have equal dominion in the sight of God, men and women. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. We have authority over even creeps in Jesus' name, right? Sorry, I had to say that. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female. There we go. There's the man and the woman created he them. And God blessed them. Everybody say, bless them. God blessed them. The, the term blessed here, you might want to put this in your notes, means God empowered them. God declared blessing over them. God spoke a grace over them. God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. So God created also, he's telling us here, seed time and harvest. That's God's way of doing business. We plant a seed. There's a time period that that seed grows, and then it produces a harvest. That works in agriculture, but that works, first of all, in the, in the, uh, in, in the way of God doing business. Seed time and harvest. When we pray and we believe God, we are planting a seed, if you will. We're planting a seed of prayer with our words, and there's a time period that usually happens before that seed shoots forth through the ground or the thing that you prayed for uh, uh, began to, to come forth, and then it produces fruit on the plant, right? That's God's way. That's the way life works. That's the way God works with his kingdom. We declare things. We pray. We believe God. And there's usually a time period. How many have learned as a Christian everything is not instantaneous? Everything's not a miracle. I mean, thank God for miracles. My wife had crossed eyes, a story we tell often because it's such a great story. It marked our life back in the 70s. Trudy grew up with crossed eyes, but she got saved. And she found out about the power of God. She found that she met the Holy Spirit before I did. She prayed me into the kingdom. That's another story. But one night in a little home prayer meeting, they prayed for her. And it was just a group of people that there wasn't, there weren't any pastors or leaders there. They just were people that loved God. This is back in the 70s during the Jesus movement, the charismatic movement. Anybody heard of those, those times? And, uh, and they're sitting around talking about praying for people. And somebody says, Trudy. Do you believe God could heal your eyes? Trudy had took a fall when she was a little baby, a little three-year-old, that triggered a birth defect. She hit her chin in her brain that caused her eyes to cross and her vision was impaired. And she grew up with that. We've got pictures of her with glasses on as a little bitty baby girl, uh, patches on her eyes because they did surgery to try to correct that, but they couldn't correct it. And she grew up with that. And now she's 18 years old. We got married when she was barely 18. And... Uh, Somebody says to her, Trudy, do you believe Jesus could heal your eyes tonight? Because they were praying for people's needs. And she looked at him and said, yes, I do. So somebody says, hey, uh, let's, let's anoint her with oil. 
These people didn't even know much about the Bible. I read a scripture that you're supposed to anoint with oil. What kind of oil do you use? I don't know. We got some Crisco in there in the kitchen. Let's, let's try that. See, they're just, they're just trusting God. They don't know that much. So they got a little dab of Crisco, put it on her forehead, prayed for her. You know, they kind of moved on with other things, but she tells a story about an hour later. She's walking down the hall, and she looked in the mirror. Her eyes were bothering her. She looked in the mirror. And she thought, wait a minute. She put her glasses on. She couldn't see out of her glasses. She took them off, and her eyes had straightened out. Her vision went 20-20 in an hour. That's a miracle, right? So miracles happen, but life's not all about miracles, right? Thank God for miracles. But we need to learn to live by faith, and seed, time, and harvest is the way that works. So I want to break this down in, as, in this first class today. All these different words because these are some powerful words we just read. Uh, look, look back at them. So let them have dominion. Let, let uh, people have uh, recreated in the image of God. God bless them. Uh, these words are, here, here's your assignment. We're supposed to be fruitful. We're supposed to multiply. We're supposed to replenish the earth and subdue it. There's not a losing word in that. <laughs> God did not create human beings to be losers. Now, because of the fall, we all have to deal with loss because we all somehow in born into this, this world where Adam and Eve sinned and that sin is passed on. We all were born into this sin on some level. Something happened to all of us. So, you know, your, your parents didn't do you right somewhere along the line because no parents are perfect and you got hurt somewhere. And also, there was a time in your life when you sinned and came short of the glory of God. And because of that, because every man and woman does that, nobody does not do that. We all sin and come short of the glory of God, right? And because of that, things came on us in life. But Jesus came to restore all these words back to us. This is so exciting. So let's break them down. First of all, we've been given dominion. Write that down in your notes. We've been given dominion. That dominion is the word rada. And here's what it means in the, in the Hebrew. It means to rule, to dominate, dominion, dominate. Dominate, that's a powerful word. To tread down, to subjugate, to control. God has created all of us to, us to do all these things in Christ. Now, let me throw this in. That doesn't, I mean, if you just take that at face value, that doesn't mean that in your power you, you can just do this and just, you know, blow over people and you're a king and, and you pull your bullwhip out and slap everybody, get out of my way. That's not our attitude. Our attitude is that of, is that of a Christian, <laughs> the way Jesus did it, right? And yet, what was restored to us was everything Jesus lost, and it begins with this word dominate. The, the word kingdom actually means the domain of a king. Kingdom means the domain of a king. And we are all kings and priests in Christ. He has made us that. We didn't do that ourselves. But Jesus made you a king and a priest. You can hold your head up this morning. This is good news. You know, the Bible says uh, Jesus came to preach the gospel to people. The gospel means good news. We have good news today. And that is God has recreated you to be a winner. I'm getting excited about this. This is good stuff. Uh, in the, this word also in the uh, concordance, Strong's concordance is the word basilia, meaning, meaning a royal place or a place of power. It also speaking of the sovereignty of the king. The Aramaic word malkut, M-A-L-K-U-T, uh, refers primarily to a geographical area. 
I'm sorry, not to a ge geographical area, but rather to the activity of the king himself, his exercise of sovereign power. So let's break all these words down, and let's talk about what this means to have dominion. First of all, uh, write down the word family. God created the world, and he put people in it because it's real simple, because he's a father, and he's looking for a family. It's a family deal. You know, I'll tell you what, as Christians, we've come into the kingdom of God, and we all, when we receive Christ, become a part of a family, the family of God. I mean, you are my kinfolk this morning. you got to like me, because I'm part of you, <laughs> and you're part of me, right? We're going to spend eternity together. So let's smile and buck up and like each other, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. So God, the Bible is a book about family. Uh, we begin the Bible with, uh, with the creation of mankind, and then we have a marriage from the very beginning, right? Two people get married. So you could say the Bible begins with this family that got married. And then do you know at the end of the Bible in Revelation, there's, there's another wedding. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, when we come to Christ and we get our, we have our glorified body and we are made totally whole in Christ, every part of you, spirit, soul, body, made brand new, glory to God. So you can say the Bible begins with a, a family, a, a marriage. The Bible ends with a marriage and a family. And then all between the books of the Bible is a story of a family. And it's very dysfunctional. These people got problems. They're crazy, just like we are. They need help, Right. Because of the fall, we all need help. Y'all looking at me real funny. You're okay with this, right? We all need help, but God wants us to be a family. You know, there's some hidden truths in the Bible that I like to look at from time to time. And there's a little hidden nugget in, in the very beginning. You know how it says every day, all six days of creation, it said God saw that what he did. And then it says, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And then day two. And the evening and the morning were the second day. So think about that. What is it, evening and morning? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't that backwards? Doesn't a day start with the morning and then the evening? But here's why God put this little code in there. God's telling us that the most important part of our day is not when we go off and go to work. Now, we all need to work. Work's good, right? We need a job. We got to go work. We got to go uh, do things to, to make money, take care of our family. But in God's eyes, that's not the priority of life. The priority is the evening or the coming back home or the reconnection of the family because that's what life is really supposed to, to be all about is, is life emanates from a family, the serving God, a mom and a dad. And this is why the devil hates the family so much and is doing everything he can in our culture right now to destroy family with people not understanding if they're male or female, you know, and all this, con you know, confusion about all that. And that's just the enemy trying to, destroy the family because satan is not he's crazy but he's not stupid and he knows if he can get at the things that are the foundations of life he has a good chance of getting his finger in really really uh well right does that make sense so the bible is a book about family number two we are to be fruitful that means we are to bear fruit we are to increase we are to grow. This is talking about the unique, uh, the excuse me, the uniqueness that God put in human beings, uh, and that coming out of you to become a reality. We were made in God's image, and every one of us were made different. This is incredible to me. You know, when God created, began creating human beings, He created Adam. Remember, He created one man. 
Now, he could have created Adam and Eve at the same time, I guess. Or maybe he could have created 10 people. Or 100. Or 7 billion. Because <laughs> he's God. And they tell us there's like 7 billion plus people living on the planet right now. But he created one. Why? Because God wants, to, wants us to know that he creates people one at a time uniquely. He put uniqueness in you. None of us are the same. How does he do that? Seven billion plus people and nobody looks quite the same. You may look like somebody. You know, you, be, you ever been told you look like somebody? I've been told I look like people. One time a guy told me that I look like Jack Nicholson. I don't know. And then another time a guy told me, said, I've been told this more than once, said I look like James Caan, the actor James Caan. You know who that is? He was, he was the uh, dad and elf. I don't know. You're looking at me now. Maybe so. But listen, I'm not James Caan. <laughs> I'm me. I have a unique fingerprint. We all have a unique fingerprint that out of 7 billion people, your fingerprint is different. Did you know you have a voice print? You know, the way we connect with God is through our, our words, right? I mean, we're having praise and worship this morning. People are singing and they're you know, they're, they're using words. We're going to hear preaching. We use words. The Bible is the word of God. It's interesting because when you begin to say words, God knows who it is, even if, he, even if he's not looking at you, because he knows your voice. We're, you, we are created individually. It's so cool. Look in Psalm 139. Let's talk about this for a minute. How God creates us so uniquely. Um, uh, I'm going to read from the NLT, verse 13, Psalm 139. It says this, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex, especially women. No, I'm, I'm moving on. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. I like to say it this way. You can get weird with this. But I believe God made us in heaven and sent us to the earth for an assignment. I believe this speaks to that. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not talking about reincarnation and weird stuff like that. But God had had you in his mind. I'm not sure exactly how that works. But, you know, so amazing these little babies come into this womb and these little human beings come <laughs> come we we just had a a new great granddaughter uh, last year my my granddaughter's pregnant again so we're gonna have a new little baby and these little babies little people right the way god does that is so cool we came to the earth for a purpose you were created for a purpose um Verse 16, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. What? This is God's detail of love and care for human beings. This just blesses me. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. You, they cannot be numbered. Everything about human beings is so unique, and that's, that's what God wants us to know. You know, even the way we process thoughts and ideas. They say that in your brain, when an idea uh, comes into your brain, it goes through like seven different pathways to become a thought. And I'm not sure how that works, but uh, I think Proverbs is Proverbs 9.1. I'm going to read this. is speaking to that. It says this, uh, Proverbs 9.1, Wisdom has built her house. She has carved its seven pillars. So when your brain, this is what this is talking about, seven pillars, seven trains of thought in your brain. 
Wow. And no two brains have the same pattern. You are uniquely and wonderfully made. Isn't that good? Just close your eyes and say, thank you, Lord, that you love me so much. Wow. So cool. God's idea was to make us unique. Then, then the next word is the word grace. This was all done. Remember, God blessed them. That's a grace of God coming on. God's grace came on Adam when he created him. Eve, when she was created, on us. Even though we were born into this sin-cursed world, there's a grace of God on us. I think from the beginning, I think we can walk away from that, and we all do. But God wants us to understand there's a grace. Grace means this. Grace is not just a, a nice little, oh, God give you his grace, sweet word. No, grace is an empowerment word. In fact, grace does mean empowerment. This is a kingdom of grace. We've been empowered by God. Uh, here's a good definition of grace that I, I got years ago, and I'm going to give you today. You might want to write this down. Grace is God's willingness to use His power on your behalf even when you don't deserve it. Say it again. Grace, God's willingness to use his power, his, his ability and power on your behalf, even when you don't deserve it. So grace is a thing that empowers us. The grace of God empowers us to do what God's called us to do. Uh, Hebrews 4.16 talks about this. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. Amen. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we have needs come up in our life, we can come boldly to, a, to the throne of God. But it's not the throne of judgment. Or it's not the throne of somebody telling us, what's wrong with you, dummy? Why did you do this again? It's the throne of grace, right? That we may find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. You know, we are human beings, but God's grace empowers us to be a superhuman being. I like what Pastor Josh preached a couple of weeks ago, that we are a superpower with the grace of God. We are like Superman. We're like, the, you know, all those ideas of those, those uh, superheroes, those movies that are so popular right now, all that really came from the idea that God has empowered us to be his children. Ephesians 2a says, God saved you by his grace when you believe, and you can't take credit for it. It is a gift of God. This is good news. We've been graced by God, and grace means we've been empowered by God to do what he's called us to do. Uh, next word is the word multiply. God told, uh, told us that we're to be fruitful and multiply. That means to make large, to become numerous, to reproduce what you are, to make little people like you. Yeah, that's a, that, isn't that an awesome thing? Uh, Psalm 127 talks about that children are the heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. It's a blessing. Blessed is the man that has his quiver full of them. It likens children to arrows. So it says you're blessed if you got a quiver that's full of arrows. And if you know the Lawrenson's in our church, you know, they believe in this scripture. They have 27 kids, I, I think, <laughs> counting. No, not that. They got a bunch of stuff. But, uh, but it's a blessing to have babies. And, you know, our quiver, Trudy and I, we have two. But, uh, and, and I, we had a little quiver, I guess. But uh, they're, 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 they're part of you, and they always will be. They're your flesh and blood. They look a little bit like you, you know. And they, they think, you'll see, thing, I say, I have, we have my granddaughters or my grandkids this weekend. 
uh, Pastor Josh and Sarah's kids. They're staying with us. I love, I watch little things that they do, and I think, that's Josh coming at you. I'll watch little Sonny smile. That's Sarah. She smiles just like her mama. Bo's the one that, that looks like her mama, but Sarah's the one, I mean, that Sonny's the one that acts like her mama. But uh, there's nothing like, God wants us to multiply and have children. Uh, we are called to replenish. Replenish is the next word. That means to be full, to accomplish, to be armed, to be satisfied. Listen, here's some good news. You were created by God to come to this earth, and you have a purpose for being here. And we all desire to find our purpose. We desperately want to find our purpose. Here's what I've learned about purpose. Purpose changes as you age because I'm not a young guy anymore. You probably didn't notice that. But my purpose, you know, when I was 20, I had a different way of thinking than I do now. I'm looking for, for what I'm, I'm, I'm called to do. I'm, you know, we're searching and we're, we're seeking and we're truly, you know, I got saved early on in life, thank God. And, and so my 20s were trying to, well, what am I going to be, you know? And I had things in, I had gifts in me that, that, that had begun to manifest a little bit. I had, had a musical gift. And then I remember when Trudy told me, she said, I was praying for you one day. This was so funny because I was the least likely to do, to do this. She said, I was praying for you, and I saw you preaching. And I, I laughed out loud. Me preaching? Are you kidding? I tried to get up and make a speech in my high school class, about six people in there. And I freaked out. I froze up. I started sweating profusely. I couldn't do it. But I became a preacher. It came out of me. It was in there all the time, but I had to dig in and unlock it, right? And I preached to thousands of people. And I've done music. I've made recordings. Primarily my kids' music has gone all over the, the place, gone all over the world. So we're called to fulfill a great purpose. And that includes your career. Uh, the, your family is included in that. And then the gifts that were burning, born in you, your personality. And I heard a story one time I thought was so sad. There was a preacher that had a vision of Jesus. And Jesus, and he, this happened to him a couple of times, where Jesus appeared to him, an open vision of Jesus, very unusual. Doesn't happen very many times. Don't ask, don't ask for this even. You can't, there's no scripture you have to say, Jesus, I want to see you in body. But it does happen from time to time. It happened in the Bible. It happened in the book of Acts. Uh, it happened on the road to Emmaus. But, uh, where Jesus appeared. But anyway, uh, so this guy, he, he had broken his elbow. He was in the hospital. He was laying in bed in the middle of the night, this preacher. And he heard footsteps coming down the hall. And the door opened up. And into his room, lo and behold, walked the Lord Jesus. Open vision of Jesus. And he sat down in a chair and began to talk to him. And he talked to him about he'd broken his elbow. And uh, he said, said a couple of things to him. But then he said this, and this caught my ear. I'll never forgive this. This Mark, never forget this. He said, the Lord told him, you're about to enter the third and final phase of your ministry. And then he said this. He said, most preachers don't enter the first phase of their ministry. And that, that hit me. I thought, what? Most preachers don't enter? And I thought, you know, so most preachers don't even get into the thing that they're called to do. And then I thought, well, what about most Christians? Do most Christians never... Uh, Fight and, and get get into the first part of what God had for them. Because see, listen, you're here for a purpose. You're here to be fruitful, to do something. 
called here to, to do. I'm not just talking about ministry. I'm talking about there's something in you that's so unique. And the devil tries to beat us up and put us down because he he does dare not want you to begin to rise up in who you are and what God's put in you to do, the service, the giftings in you. The devil hates that. So we have to. That's why it's so important that we receive this by faith. And we begin to say, okay, Lord, and begin to follow him. You know, I, I talked about the different things of our in my 20s it was there in my 30s I got into more the heart of what what God had called me to do I, I got I was in kids ministry I was on a national tv show uh and then I was a worship leader in a church that grew from a church plant to 8,000 people it was a, it was cool and that was a phase of my life in my 30s and in my 40s and then I got to be 50 and it's like huh feels different because to me 50 was really old you know so I'm 50 now. Wow, what's going to happen? And you know what? It's funny because what I had been, what I'd love to do, I love to lead worship and I love to jump around like David Terry and like Maddie Brown, who's not even 20 years old yet leading worship today. You know, and that's kind of a young person's deal, you know? I mean, I began to do it and I began to go, eh, I don't like this like I used to. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And uh, did, did you know the priests in the Old Testament? They made a change when they reached 50 years old. 50 is kind of like a dividing point. And if they had been faithful, you know, to be a priest in the Old Testament, you were uh, killing animals, making sacrifices. It's like they ran a butcher shop daily. And so you had, you, there's a lot of work. I mean, just physical work involved in that. But when you became 50, you changed to a teaching priest. You didn't work as hard as you did then. So when we, we became, got Trudy and I became 50, we began, our ministry changed, and we began to travel, and we, we've traveled all over the country preaching churches, and it was a great phase, but then it begins, it began to change again, and this church was born, and we had always talked to Pastor Josh and Sarah about, we're, we're supposed to be here with you when you plant your church, we talked about this and since they had gotten married in 2003, so we picked up uh, roots in Tulsa where we'd lived for 32 years and moved to lo and behold Oklahoma City six years ago and now things that you know I said there's things are revolving but every you know what I'm in a really cool place in my life I like what I'm doing right now because I'm older you know and and uh, I'm kind of I don't have to do a lot of the hard work around here like I used to because I'm not as spry as I used to be right I mean I still look great I mean you know you know what I'm saying but uh, I, I, I get to kind of hang back and, and now all the things I've learned, I get to share with people in the church. I get to help these young leaders. See, there's always another phase for you. God wants you to be fruitful wherever you are, wherever you are in life right now. Some of you are more at the beginning. Some of you are in the middle part, but God wants you to be fruitful. So, and then the next word is to subdue. And that is the word kabas. And that means to bring into bondage to keep under, to bring in a subjection. I think there's a little bit of warning in this for Adam and Eve, for these people that are going to be born. Warning for us. And here's the warning. There's going to be an enemy going to come try to take this away from you. you know, that's what happened to them. The Garden of Eden, the definition of the Garden of Eden is interesting because the Garden of Eden actually means, Eden is, means eternal life in the Hebrew. But garden means hedge. Or it means a fenced, or a like a fenced-in place. So God put them in the Garden of Eden, but He had a hedge, hedge around it. 
Why? Because he's telling them inadvertently that somebody's going to try to come, this cool deal I've given you, and they're going to try to take it away from you. There's an enemy. And one of the big things that happened in the fall was Adam didn't take that seriously enough. We'll talk about that. But in conclusion, in this first class, how are we doing? I'm doing good. Uh, in conclusion, we are rulers in God's kingdom, but God is the real and only king. You know, we are living in the kingdom. Tondra is going to get into this in detail later because uh, he wasn't born in a... We, we live in America. We're Americans, right? We, we were born into a democracy. Or really, we were born in... Uh, the government of, of America is a republic. And uh, it's totally different than a kingdom. Because a, in a republic, uh, you have peop, the people uh, elect representatives. So you're elected by the will of the people. So really... The way this is designed to work is the people rule. That's why we have states. That's why we have the setup that we do. Uh, this is the way it was originally designed to work. But a kingdom is totally different. It is ruled by a sovereign king. So in all I've said, in all this dominion, on subdue, be fruitful, all this is not just for you to go out and do what you want to do but is to be submitted to and subjected to the rulership and the leadership of the king in order to get it done. Does that make sense? In other words, we just don't go haul off and decide to do things. No, we want to be led by our king. We want to come to the king. We bow down to the king. His name is Jesus, and he's a good king. A, a, a king has inherited his position by right of birth, and his rulership lasts an entire life. There's no election with the king. We have a queen in England who's about 90-something years old now. She's getting really old, and she's still queen, and she will be until she dies because it's a kingdom. British, uh, the British Empire has kingdom rule. America, we have uh, democracy, republic, but uh, kingdom rule. As a king, though, Jesus has given us the right to be kings and priests, Revelation 1-6. He has, uh, oh, let's see here, where am I? says he's made us kings and priests to him be glory and dominion forever and ever and ever so this only works when we do it through him through his presence in our life god never intended us to do this without him but that's exactly what happened and we're going to dig into that in the next session so here, here's what let's do let's take a two minute two minute let's take a three minute break all right all right you get anything out of that um we want uh, what God wants to see us is, is He. We have been elevated in Him. He wants us to be realize our position in Him is so important because if you don't understand that, you can't fulfill your purpose. And yet, then it, it, you have to be careful because if you people begin to walk in that, and as human beings, we begin to walk in some victory, and then pride comes in, and and then we get off our, our, our road that God wants us to have. So we have to understand we're elevated in Christ, and yet we are still submitted to him. And that's what that first session was all about, what, are right, what is rightfully ours. So this session, we're going to talk about how to take hold of the kingdom. And uh, because the fall of man, access was lost to God's desire to have this kingdom. And man has always looked for the missing piece through different means. Uh, but there is a way that God has set for man to lay hold of this kingdom promise. And as we study this, we have an opportunity to lay hold of it personally for what God has for us. Our key verse is Matthew eleven twelve. 
and I think it's in your notes. If not, I'll, I'll you write it down. But it says this in the NLT. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacking it. And King James, or Amplified, I'm sorry. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault, and violent men seize it by force. Wow, that's kind of a, what? We're supposed to violently, that's what Jesus said. We have to have a, we are Christians and we are gentle as lambs, but we're wise as serpents. And in order to get what God has for you, you got to have some grit in your believer to get it done. Because it just don't fall on you like ripe cherries on your head from a tree. No, God, Jesus did the hard part. And yet it's, we still have to activate it. We activate it by this so such an important word, faith, F-A-I-T-H. We have to use our faith. Remember I said that when it comes to kingdom uh, uh, things going forth, God has a part to play in this kingdom reign, but then we have a part to play. We can't do God's part, but God won't do your part. You have a part to play, and you have to understand that to play that part, you got to be, you got to have some of that in you. Uh, you know, I, I'll give you an example of, of my wife. Trudy's such a gentle, precious, you know, lovable everybody likes my wife trudy i mean just uh, and that's just her but sometimes they don't understand the bulldog in my wife when she got saved we were we were newly married we'd been married just a few months and we're fighting like cats and dogs because we, we don't know anything we're very young i was 19 she was barely 18 when we got married barely yes barely 18 she just turned 18 the month before and so uh you know we we love each other but we don't know how to get along with each other, especially when you get married, because that creates all sorts of other problems. So we're married and fussing and fighting. One night we had a big fight. She had been raised in a particular denominational church, and uh, we weren't going then. But uh, she tells a story. I wasn't there, but she said, I went over to a part of our apartment, and I was talk talking to God, and she said, I just got honest with him. And I said, God, I'll tell you what. As long I've gone to church all my life, and as far as I can tell, nothing, you've never done anything to help me. That's what my wife said. And I'll tell you what, if you don't show me you're real, then that's it. I'm not going to church. I'm not going to talk to you anymore because we're having trouble, and I need some help, and you're going to have to help me. And that's the way it is. Bam. Amen. That's my wife's prayer. And she just prayed that. You know what happened? The next day. Everybody say the next day. There's a knock on her door. I was at uh, school. And, and some people came over, her relatives, that had just gotten saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they came in and began to tell her all about that. And she says, I want that. And she got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit that afternoon. In less than 12 hours, what, God, what she told God she had to have, he shows up. He will show up. But you know what? She was strong about that. She's strong like that today especially if something's coming against her kids or me. She will get on it like ugly on an ape, and she will pray, and she will be strong. There's got to be a strength in us if we're going to do what we're called to do. Uh, uh, you know, as Christians, our lives should be different. I'm not saying you're not going to ever have trouble, but God's called us as believers to win over the troubles that come our way. You are called to be a winner. You are more than a conqueror. Jesus did the conquering. But hey, what are we? We're more than a conqueror. We take what he did and we rise up in our faith and we fulfill our, our purpose and our commission in life. This is good stuff. 
but that doesn't mean just because this is the will of God, you're not going to have any trouble. You will. Trouble will come. It is promised in the Bible. But when it comes, we have to stand strong against it. This word, the violent, take it by force. I think it's in your notes. is be a sty, I guess is the way you say that in the, in the Greek. Meaning one who is eager in pursuit to seize. The eagerness is born from people seeing the freedom resources available for us in the kingdom. It's just like people coming to, to America. You know, America, we got some warts on America right now, right? I mean, there's some things we, we all don't like that grieve us all as believers. They should. And yet, still, America is the haven that people want to come to from all over the world. Uh, even with all its faults, it's seen worldwide as a nation to come to find liberty and freedom, a place that you can pursue your dream and find purpose and prosperity. And America's different. I mean, you know, I've traveled overseas. And when I go overseas, and I, I enjoy going overseas, I've been to Honduras, I've been to Philippines, I've been to Israel. Israel's great. I've been to uh, other different countries. But when I get back to America, there's two things I want to do. I want to see my wife and give her a kiss, and then I want a cheeseburger. Because there's nothing like America, man. And uh, so uh, this kingdom life is a life that we have to, we're to pursue the, pursue the kingdom. We're to uh, pursue this thing, and it's worth fighting for. So in this lesson, we're going to talk about how the kingdom is accessed in our time versus in the past. The scripture says that God spoke to people through prophets in the past, but now he's spoken to us to speak to us through a king. We talked about how the term kingdom means the dominion of a king. We've been given that dominion back by Jesus Christ that we lost, and it is the will of God to give this to us. Jesus made this statement, Luke 12, 32. Write this down in your notes. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. God wants us to have this. It's his will. And the son establishes his kingdom in our hearts, but back to this, the violent take hold of it. So let's go back to the Garden of Eden, and let's talk about how to comprehend the kingdom. Central in comprehending the kingdom is to understand how God did things from the beginning. We're going to go back to that thought. So here, uh, Genesis 2.15. Let's go there now. So in the beginning, Adam was created. We talked about that a little bit, the uniqueness of the one. And he was placed in an awesome environment. It was a kingdom environment. And let's read about it here. Genesis 2.15. I'm going to begin reading. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. That was his assignment. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof thou shalt surely die. It's pretty clear, right? You can eat of all the trees in the garden, Adam, enjoy them. You know, there's a, there's a, a plum tree right over there. You know, tear that up. Uh, the, right over here, this is mango tree. Yeah, enjoy that one. The cherry tree, enjoy all those trees, except there's this one tree right here. And don't, don't eat of that tree. Because here's what's going to happen. Made it very clear. The day you do, you will surely die. You may not die. No, you will surely die, right? Let's keep reading. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. That was his word of God about his wife that's about to come. But before she came on the scene, Adam had to be trained. So God created him from the dust. He breathed. He took this dirt. 
and he breathed, <gasps> breathed into this dirt, and it became a living soul. And he, the scripture says he formed man from the dust of the ground. You know, this is interesting about marriage, about why you're so different as a husband and wife. Adam, was, Adam came from dirt. He was formed. The Bible said the, the woman didn't come from dirt. The woman's taken from the man. She came from the side of man. And she wasn't formed. She was built. That's the word in the, in the King James. So the man is formed. That's an interesting word. Formed means uh, one of the definitions is lumped together. It's like lumped together. So I think guys begin to look that way as we get a little older if we don't watch. We get lumpy, right? But for the woman, it's the word built. It's a different word. It's like more intricately constructed. And I'll say I think it shows, right? There's, there's, there, women and men are different uh, physically, the, also the way they think. Uh, but then God took him to this place called the Garden of Eden. We talked a little bit about that. Where was the Garden of Eden? Uh, historically, somewhere near the convergence of the Euphrates and Tigris River, maybe it's thought. Maybe somewhere in modern-day Iraq, it's thought. But we don't really know. Wherever it was, it was a nice place to live. Because Eden means eternal life. So Adam, God wants Adam to start this family because he's a family God, right? We talked about that. And he's going to give him a bride, but Adam needed to be trained. So there are four kingdom directives, or excuse me, five kingdom directives that God gave Adam that match what we're called to do as Christians today. You ready? Write these down. Number one, God taught him to work. Taught him to work. He was, he's, he was to dress the garden. The first human enterprise vocation was farming, <laughs> farming, uh, agriculture. Uh, remember, we talked about seed. seed. Seeds are planted. The time passes, and then there's a harvest. And so God brought, that's what he began to do with Adam. He became a worker. God wanted men to understand, not that women can't work. Women can work. And a lot of times they do a lot of things a lot better than men. We have a church full of men and women that work on our staff, and I watch them, and they're gifted. Man, we got some people that are really gifted. We got some women that are smart, and you know, you got to watch it. They'll intimidate you. They're so smart. Uh, so women can work, but here's what God wanted us, wanted us to understand: the man is the lead worker in the family. He is to be the one that that casts direction for the family. Anything that works, any enterprise has got to have a head. Anything with two heads is a freak. Nature tells us that, right? Somebody's got to be in charge. And when I'm talking about being in charge, that doesn't mean he's the king on the throne. You know, this has been interpreted different ways in different generations. I grew up in my mom, I grew up in the 60s, 50s and 60s. And in, my, in our house, my dad was a farmer. He was the king of the house. He was tough. It was my, my dad's way or the highway. And we were to submit to him, I mean, Big time, and it wasn't always just right. Because my dad, God bless him, he's in heaven today. He got saved at the end of his life. Isn't that good that God saves people? But when I was growing up, he was a mess. I mean, he was an alcoholic. And and I say that, and yet he always took care of the family. You know, we always had food and a nice place to live and, and all that. But uh, But he was the king. When he rattled his jar, you better get him some iced tea, right? And that's not the way God intends that to work. But man is to be the lead worker. Number two, he had a place to live. He had a home of his own. God wants us to have a place in the earth. 
you know, I encourage you to believe God. If you don't have a house, believe God for uh, some land and a house. Some dirt is good to have in life, right? We, when we moved to Oklahoma City a few years ago, uh, we moved in an apartment for a while because I don't know the town. I don't know, I don't know where I want to live. So we, we moved into an apartment, and we hadn't lived in an apartment since we were kids. And it was so weird to get in an apartment now. And it, it was kind of nice in a way for a while not to have to do a yard and all that stuff and keep a house up. But a few, after a few months, I didn't like it. I wanted my, to get my mower out and go, you know, mow something and go dig something up. And, you know, I think God wants us to have some dirt. Uh, it, we won't have permanent dirt, but God wants us to have a, a place. I think that's what he's saying. Is that okay? Yeah. So and then number three, he learned discipline. God taught him discipline. Remember the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God was teaching him to say yes to the good things in life and no to the bad things in life. That's his chooser. God was, was training his chooser, his will. Remember I told you we all have a will, right? And we, our chooser, uh, and God will never take that away. If God took that away from you, if he made everybody got saved, he doesn't have a family anymore. I mean, you, you have to do that, then you're not a real human being. You're not created like in the image of God, if that's the way it was. But, but So we have to have disciplines. And number four, and this is the most important, really, he had a father. He, this was all done by a father. Oh, man, you've all probably all heard the stats of what happens when a father is not in the home. And society just skews. When a father is present in the home, even if he's not that great a father, somehow it, it brings order to that family, some order, okay? The ideal is for a man to be a man of God in his home and lead his family like a father. And so what God wanted to do with Adam in the very beginning is teach him that, that he wanted Adam to be a father. And the father was training him a perfect father. Isn't that amazing? He had a relationship with his father. You know, in the Hebrew, you might want to write this down. This is kind of cool. I'll, I'll hit this quickly. Uh, the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet, alphabet, they call it, are aleph and bet. <laughs> first two letters, which correspond to A and B in English, aleph and bet. So the first two letters, uh, are, are the letters have word pictures also, different than English. In other words, there's a little symbol or word picture that goes along with every letter there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, and they, so that when you put the letters together, they make words that tell stories. So the first uh, letters are Aleph and Bet. Are with, they correspond to A and B. Uh, and Aleph actually means first strong leader. That's what that word means. And then the letter Bet is, actually means this, house. Do you know the first letter of the whole Bible, Genesis 1-1, is the letter bet? House also means family. So we talked about this. So God, the first symbol that a Jew saw was the, the symbol for family. God's declaring from the very beginning, I want a family. I'm creating you because I want a family. But you put those letters together, ab, or in uh, Aramaic, abba, Greek abba, ab, we, we were in Israel. It was so cool. One day we were up on Masada, famous place where the Jews fought a year long. They had a siege there, and, and the Romans tried to get up this hill, and uh, they, it took them a year to do it. They finally did it, but it took them a year. But we were on Masada. I'll never forget this. And this little girl walks, runs by us. She's probably four years old. 
and she's looking for a daddy. She's going, Abba, 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 Abba. And thought, whoa, that's in the Bible. But Abba means father or the first strong leader of the house is what that means. The, the symbol for that is, a, is an ox. Symbol for a father is an ox. And an ox is an animal of strength. It's an animal of work. But it's also an animal of sacrifice, right? So God is letting us know from the very beginning what a real father looks like. Adam was being trained to be the son of God, to be a father in his own right. But number five, Adam was supposed to protect the garden. He was to, remember Garden of Eden? Garden means hedge. He was supposed to dress it and to, means work, but also to keep it. That word there means to guard, watch, and protect. protect. Uh, so here's the, here's the story. He was to use his dominion to keep out the unwanted and the harmful. God is telling him inadvertently, somebody or something's going to come and try to take this away from you. There's an enemy that's coming, and you're going to have to oppose him. You know, as a believer today, we got to learn how to fight for what's ours. You got to have some fight in your britches. We talked about that. The violent take it by force. So God's training Adam. Now he brings his wife. They get married. But, and that's at the end of Genesis 2. So Genesis 1 and 2, we got the first marriage. First two people on the earth get married. End of the marriage happens. End of Genesis 2. Genesis 3, what happens? The serpent shows up. Why? The devil saw immediately that this marriage was a threat to his kingdom, to his plan. So he says, I got to do something. So he comes and uh, he came to take this kingdom reign away from Adam and Eve legally because he had to do it legally. He used his deception as his tool. That's his, that's his stock and trade. He's a deceiver. He's a con man. He's a liar. He's real. He wants to take you down. Now look at Genesis 3.1. Everybody tracking with me? We're talking about our directives in the kingdom. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So he begins to question the word of God. That's what he'll do to us. He'll come at you and he'll question the word of God in your life and tempt you to get you off serving God and get you off acting on the word of God by faith. Everybody with me? So he presents this to Eve. He came against, the woman is called in the Bible, the weaker vessel. That doesn't necessarily mean she is physically, for the most part, women are weaker than men. But did you know, men are from the waist up stronger than women. We have bigger shoulders and arms and things like that. But did you know women are stronger from the waist down? And they have to be because they have babies. And they, they, it takes a lot of strength to push out a baby. I've heard. I don't know, but so well, I don't think this is not my point is that this is not talking about just your physical weakness. Uh, this is talking about, in fact, the better word for the weaker vessel is the more sensitive vessel. Women are more sensitive for for bad, maybe, but also for good. I mean, there's a sensitivity in a woman. There's things that women see that guys just don't see. My wife is always telling me something, and she'll say, did you know so-and-so about the kids? And I'll go, huh? No. I remember one time uh, our son Josh had come home from school. I'm, I'll tell Josh, Pastor Josh stories. You can, you know, get, get him with him. But uh, he comes home from school, walks in. Trudy and I are standing in the kitchen. I'll never forget this. And he walks by 
says, hi, mom and dad, and walks by, and I'm, no, me, I'm going, okay, everything's cool. And Trudy says, something's wrong with him. I said, what? She said, I don't know, but something's wrong with him. Why do you say that? Because he's got, his cheeks were red. And I know when he gets upset, his cheeks turn red. I, I know that as a mama. I said, I did not know that. And mamas know stuff, right? So go kid him about his cheeks turning red. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, there's a sensitivity. And so the enemy comes at her sensitivity. And he questions the word of God. That's the way he always comes. He comes to question what God has said. Hath God said? And uh, that you can't eat of the fr uh, fruit of, the of every tree of the garden. That's what he said. And Eve quotes back. Let me read this to you. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now Eve, here's something that's really cool to know. She screwed up this scripture three different ways. In two verses, she messed it up three ways. And I'll break it down for you. All right, you ready? Genesis 3, 2. Of course, we may eat of uh, fruit from the trees in the garden, but of, uh, uh, yeah, okay, she, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. She left out a word. She left out the word freely, which means she was diminishing the goodness and the libera liberality of God, how good God really wants to be. You know something, folks? God is so good, we can't comprehend how good he is. He's a lot gooder than you think he is. He, will, he loves you and wants to bless you more than you could ever imagine. That is our God. And she left out that word freely. Second way she misquoted it. She said, uh, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. The, the scripture, God didn't tell Adam you couldn't touch it. She added that. So she did something that Deuteronomy 4.2 tells us not to do. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it. That's Deuteronomy 4.2 if you're taking notes. So you're not supposed to add to the word. You're not supposed to take away. She added something, and then she took something away. And then the last way she said it, uh, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Or in other words, if we do that, we may die. No, no, no. God didn't say you may die if you do that. He said if you do that, you shall surely die. So she omitted the... Uh, the severity of judgment that would come when man disobeyed God. You know, here's one of the reasons we need to be encouraged. Tondra, I was preaching a great message. You, you'd probably be hearing it after this, this morning, about God, about His goodness. Here's one of the reasons He's encouraging us to be the salt of the earth, to take Jesus into our workplace. Here's the reason we should do that, because there are people that are really going to hell. There's a real hell people are going to. And the only way they're not going to go is if they meet Jesus and get him into their life. And we are the purveyors of that. We are a God's feet and God's hands to go out into the world and do that. I'm preaching really good here. So uh, they didn't take that seriously. And so what happened? They fell. You know the story. We won't spend a lot of time here, but they ate. The woman took the fruit and she ate of it and then she brought it to the man. Adam should have told, Adam should have stopped her. Adam wasn't back in the North 40, you know, picking cherries that day. And then he shows up and what have you done? No, Adam was the responsible one. He stood right there and watched the whole thing. And he should have said, no, baby, no, we can't do this. No, no, you don't. I need to explain that scripture better to you. No, you misquoted it. No, 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 that. But he didn't do that, did he? He was standing right there and she ate and then he took it. And you know what? He was responsible. 
Because it's not called sin of Eve. It's called the sin of Adam. Jesus had to be the second Adam, not the second Eve, because it's not Eve. It was Adam's, the leader. Wow. So now Eden is taken away. The fall of man rips the kingdom apart. And this happens in two ways. Number one, physically. They lost Eden. They lost their, their, their uh, place. They lost the plan of God that God had for them. And this curse is pronounced on them, and that curse is twofold, and I'll hit it quickly. A curse came. God said, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, they didn't die physically, right? But inside, they did die. The, the, the connection with God that they had had, the intimacy that they had had now is severed and cut off. And now, there's this curse pronounced on them, and it's twofold. For the woman, it involves she would suffer in pregnancy. She would be ruled over by her husband. You know, there is a legitimate discrimination against women in our world. There really is. And that's why we've had things like women's movements and women rising up because they've been mistreated. And in America, really, women have more freedom than in any other nation in the world. In other lands, women, for the most part, are just second-class citizens. And that's part of the curse, that's part of the curse coming on the woman. She would have trouble in childbearing. Uh, for the man, the, the ground was cursed. And that's going to be hard to make a living. Because remember, we talked about how man is the lead provider of the family. Uh, he, he's going to have to fight thorns and thistles. He's going to have, have it's going to be a challenge. You know, God wanted it to be easy, I believe, for men, for, for men and women to live. Just cruise through life. But now we have to go out and work. And there's, and there's a curse on our work there's you know i grew up on a farm and i understand we have to fight weeds all the time and you you plant a beautiful crop but then uh weather and and weeds and thorns try to come up and my dad hated weeds more than any person in the world everything i had to plow over and over to get the weeds down that's another whole other story but uh so there's a twofold fold curse that came upon people physically but then spiritually what happened and this is so sad. All those good things we talked about in Genesis chapter 1, the legal authority that we had in the earth is diminished now. It's taken away. And it's given over to Satan. And now Satan is called the uh, God of this world, which he is. You know, man, really what he did, he sold out his lease agreement with God. God had a, an agreement with man to do all these things. And man sold it out because he disobeyed God. And now Satan has a lease on this planet. Now, Satan doesn't own the earth, okay? This is good news. He doesn't own the earth. God, the Lord owns the heavens and the earth. But Satan has a lease until his time up is up. His time is coming up shortly. <laughs> because all signs point. I've been studying a lot in the book of Revelation and about end time stuff. And, you know, folks, I, I, we got to be close. I mean, we just got to be close. I mean, if you, if, if you got your eyes open at all and see what's going on, all these things have been prophesied. There is nothing right now holding Jesus from coming back. All the signs of Matthew 24, Luke 17, they're all happening right now. We're seeing these things unfold right before our eyes. And there's a whole other story. But, uh, but God, 
uh, man, mankind lost his authority, and now we have a challenge. There's, uh, we, we don't have the same dominion, but as a man and a woman, we still want to exercise dominion. And that dominion mandate was not taken totally away from us, and man still needs to express that. But we express it now without kingdom rule in totally different ways. There's a negative dominion that is manipulation of the kingdom. Uh, people are trying to achieve things in their fallen state in the flesh that brings about all sorts of chaos in the world. And uh, once you go to Genesis chapter 10, verse 8, we're going to close with this. i got 15 more minutes. We're going to talk about how Nimrod is a picture of this. Anybody ever heard about Nimrod? It, Nimrod's an interesting character in the Bible. Nimrod comes on the scene in Genesis chapter 10. Adam and Eve, the falls happen. Time has progressed for a while now. And... Uh, the scripture says, Genesis 10, 8, take, if you want to take note of all this, says, Cush begot Nimrod, who began, who became a mighty one on the earth. Verse 9, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. So you read that, and on the surface, you read about Nimrod. Okay, this dude named Nimrod, he was a hunter. That means, well, he's probably good with a deer rifle, right? But that's not what this is talking about. The term mighty hunter means he was a hunter of men. And the word Nimrod, you know, in the Hebrew, the words, the names always have meaning. So the word Nimrod, the name Nimrod actually means this. Get down, I will be over you. That's what Nimrod means. Write that down. Nimrod means get down, I will be over you. And here's what God's telling us about Nimrod. He was a tyrant that came on the scene. He was the first person we see that is an embodiment of dictatorship, of communism, of socialism, and even more than that, of antichrist. He is the antichrist spirit personified. Uh, in one of the commentaries, I read this about Nimrod. It said it should be translated, he was a mighty tyrant in the face of God. The hunting was the hunting of men's souls. Nimrod became a leader in apostasy, developer of a great religious system, later to become known as the Babylonian religious system or the mystery of Babylon. Or Babylon is a world system. We see it at work right now in the world that is an, an ungodly system. It includes commerce. It includes going to grow in the It's growing right now. But when the church gets out of here in the rapture, it's going to come on like crazy in the last few years of, of time on the earth. It's going to be crazy. But it's here now. Uh, it's called Mystery Babylon, but it's going down. The Bible said Babylon will be destroyed in one day. And all everything we see, all I don't know if you're like me. I, I don't watch much news on TV because it makes me so mad and angry when I see what's going on. I may kind of see what's going on, but then I... I only have enough information that I can pray about it because we need to pray over our nation. We need to pray over the world, right? Because it makes me so angry when I see what's happening. It's so sad, right? Things are happening that are hurting people. But this whole religious system was begun by Nimrod. Now, some of the legend of Nimrod, I don't know how much this is true, but I'll give it to you. His mother was named Samarimus, who later was worshipped as a goddess, uh, Fable said she was a virgin when she had Nimrod and that he was killed while hunting because he was a hunter, right? And was dead for three days, but resurrected. This is the legend of Nimrod. He was said, this is an antichrist is going to do this, folks. 
I'm not to have time to teach and all that, but it's coming. So he was celebrating, listen to this, in the spring of the year with colorful eggs, having orgies, and also cutting down trees and putting them in their homes to, de- to decorate. So he just kind of took Christmas and Easter and wrapped it all up and tried to become a god, and that's all legend. And I'm not saying don't get a Christmas tree. Don't, don't, don't get weird on me. But <laughs> this is a legend of Nimrod. So he's a mighty hunter. What did he do? Verse 10 talks about him. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and then Erech, Akkad, and Kalnah in the land of Shinar. So he began to bring uh, different nations under his rule. Verse 13, Mizram, Mizram begot Ludim, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtuhim, butchering these words, I'm sure. His goal was to be a world conqueror. He was the first Hitler. He was operating in the spirit of Antichrist. Look at Genesis 11, verses 1 and 2. It says that now the whole earth had one language and one speech. There was just one language. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east. Here's a little Bible interpretation clue. When you see, when you read about somebody journeying from the east, I think it said Lot journeyed from the east. That means they were going away from God. Or they were wanting to distance themselves from the word of God, from the principles of God, and from God. That's what it means to journey from the east. In other words, they have an idea that's better, they think, than what God has. Then they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, verse 3, Let us come and make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And there's more code here. When you read about bricks in the Bible, bricks speak of slavery and bondage and sameness. God forbade the children of altar. Remember this little, Pastor Josh, I think, talked about this last week. How that the Jews were, if they built an altar... And they would do that. They would build an altar to commemorate something wonderful that God had done for them. And you can go into the land of Israel now, and there are altars that were built in the time of, of the, the patriarchs. of the. You know, it's so cool. You can go into Israel, and you can go to the place, the tomb of Machpelah, where Abraham and Sarah are buried. Isn't that incredible? Their bones are in there, man. It's real. Uh, but uh, they were forbidden to build an altar of bricks. They had to make it out of stones. Why is that? Because bricks speak of slavery. Remember what the children of Israel were doing in Egypt? They were making bricks. Bricks are all made the same, right? They're all the same symmetry. It's really easier to build with bricks. You just stack them up. But what they're doing when they build with bricks is they're making people, that's what uh, socialism, communism wants to do, make people all the same. Cookie cutter. God doesn't build with bricks. He builds with stones. Right? Uh, it says in 1 Peter 2, 5, and you are lively stones. You're not lively bricks. You know, I talk about individualism, how individual we all are. We're lively stones. We're royal priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, we offer up spiritual sacrifices that please God. So we're stone. We're, you're a little stone. You know, we have a fireplace at our house that some stonemasons came in when we moved there, and they built a stone fireplace. And it was amazing to watch those guys do that. It was hard to do. They had to go outside and cut those stones, and then they'd place them just right. And, you know, you look at our fireplace, it's very interesting because there'll be a little bitty stone here, and then there'll be a big one and different size ones. And that's the way God builds with individuals, right? So back to Nimrod. So they built a tower. i got to do this quickly. 
and let us make a name for ourselves. And they were being successful at what they were doing. Why? Because they had, they still were operating in a, in a type of dominion. And there's this unity coming on them. And so God had to come down and confuse the languages. Verse 6, indeed, the people are one. This is God talking. And they will have one language, and this is what they begun to do. Now, nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. That's dominion that people have that are negative. You know, people accomplish things now that are bad, bad people, right? That's what Nimrod was doing. That's why God confused the languages. Because there are language discrepancies. We don't understand the language. There's a communications cut down or, 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 or hindered. And you can't do everything you want to do. And God did that because of the authority. Even in my point is the authority, the dominion was working even when it was in the negative. But we're in the positive, right? So let's end with some good news. You ready for good news? Let's go back to the curses pronounced on the man and the woman. Do you know there was also a curse pronounced on the serpent? We're talking about kingdom, dominion, kingdom. There was a curse pronounced on the serpent. Let's look at it. Genesis 3.14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat the dust all the days of your life. Verse 15, and I will put enmity, 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 that means trouble, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. Now, think about this. God says he's going to, between the seed of the woman uh, and the serpent. Woman doesn't have any seed. See, men have the seed. When it comes to reproduction, Women carry the egg, and men carry the seed. But he said the seed of the woman. God's prophesying something that was a mystery to the Jews. It's still a mystery today. The seed of the woman. Who is that? That's God in the flesh coming to, to as, a, as, a, as a fetus, uh, uniting with the little gal named Mary. You know what's so cool? The woman that ate of the fruit in the beginning is now the one that redeems mankind back to God. Because a seed was planted and the baby was born, and his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. And she, see, God borrowed that womb because he knew that the woman would be the one to bring the kingdom back. She, uh, the woman who brought the fruit of cursing now has brought the fruit of God for blessing. Man, this is good preaching right here. I love this. And now with him, we can begin to live out the kingdom. Uh, through what he taught us in our three years of ministry. That's why we're majoring right now on the kingdom of God, on the words of Jesus, because he constantly talked about the kingdom. Uh, in this kingdom, there will be a physical kingdom set up, set up at the end of the Bible. Book of Revelation talks about that. But now the kingdom of God is not a place. Not a place anymore. Look in Luke 17, 20. This is Jesus talking. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, because Jesus was always talking about the kingdom, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Or in other words, it means it can't be detected by visible signs. Nor will they say, see here is the kingdom. Or see there. He's talking about after he's died and been resurrected. For here's, here it is. Here, you ready? For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. Not out here somewhere. I mean, not even at, he's not at the church. He's in you. He's in human beings. Kingdom of God is within you now. Why? When you receive Christ, the kingdom, the seed of the kingdom is in you, in every believer, from what we would think to be the least, 
from what little bitty kids to what we may be think the greatest, whatever that is in your mind. But the kingdom of God, when we receive Christ, is within you. And we were born with the potential for the kingdom to rule again when it's established in our heart and we begin to walk it out. Somebody else say amen. I'm preaching really good here. Jesus said this, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Or in other words, we can have everything back that Adam and Eve lost because, let me read this, we can have all this because we believe that our king will care for us in our time on our earthly kingdom assignment. Yes, we're here for an assignment, but the kingdom's in you. And as long as we're here, Scott, this is so good, we're going to have financial supply. We, God wants us to have health. God wants you, if you get sick, he wants you healed. Freedom from sin, we can be free from sin, right? Doesn't mean you'll never miss it again, but when you do, run to him. We can have family blessing again. We can have a relationship with our Father and the Holy Spirit. But understand this, it's not all about us. It's, our, it's about us having the ability to be a blessing in the earth. Let me give you a great definition for gospel as we close. Boy, I'm doing good. i still got two minutes. Gospel means this, good news from the battlefield. We're called to preach the gospel. We're called to walk out the gospel. What does gospel mean? You are good news, but it's even deeper than that. Good news from the battlefield. Here's the good news. The war is over. The victory has been won. The kingdom is secure. The kingdom is secure because of what Jesus did. And now the war is over. Now, once again, we're going to have to fight. Whole point. The violent take it by force. We rise up in who we are in him, not in arrogance. You know, I've seen this a lot of different ways because I've been around a while. I've seen some people when they begin to get a hold of faith and the promises of God. You can get arrogant with this and begin to be stupid with it. But you don't have to be stupid with it. If you'll stay connected to the king, which is really the whole point of this, we stay connected to him and with him. That's where our rulership really takes, takes hold. It's when we're walking with him and walking this out. And, and God has put you here in this kingdom that we're living in, in, in the body, in the king. He's put you here to fulfill a great purpose, Rosie. You have a purpose in life. You have a purpose. We all have a, I could say if I knew all your names, I, w I could say your name because you have purpose in this kingdom. This kingdom is yours by faith. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we pray.